just understand the likelihood of there being an undefeated Pac-12, an undefeated Big Ten, an undefeated ACC, an undefeated SEC, an undefeated AAC, whatever it is. The likelihood of everybody being undefeated is insanely small. That's why there's upsets every week. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. It's Greg McElroy. Appreciate you being with us. It's an awesome, awesome Wednesday here, October 11th. We're nearly at the midway point of the college football season, and we hope that you're enjoying the show wherever it is you're getting the show, whether it's on Spotify, whether it's Apple Podcasts, or if you're here with us via the ESPN YouTube channel, please take just a couple seconds, hit that thumbs up button right below the video. You can also, if you're on the podcast, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can also give us a rating, five stars preferred. Of course, if you think we stink, then just don't rate. You can also subscribe to the podcast wherever, so we're all good. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you'd like. We like those. We've been reading those. It means a lot to us. Alongside Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, Jake Garcia, we have a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to do the college football playoff eliminator like we've done every single week up to this point. Starting to get a little bit more clarity, by the way, with whether or not teams are real, whether or not they have the horses, whether or not they can compete, what group they should be in, how we should kind of characterize these teams at the moment, because a lot of these resumes are incomplete. That's why we don't necessarily do rankings. We do groups because when schedules strengthen, for instance, USC, when they play at Notre Dame this week, they go and get a win. They'll be able to slide up from whatever group they're in right now to maybe one of the top tier groups. That's just what has to happen as you move forward. There are plenty of examples of teams that could have some upward mobility. And of course, with the loss, you'll free fall here as we kind of group these teams accordingly. We also are going to do a couple other fun things as well. The midweek mailbag, like we always do. And there's three teams that are reeling right now that are pretty depressed. Miami, Notre Dame, and Texas. I'm going to talk you off the ledge. There's not all is dead with those three programs. There's actually a lot to look forward to. And I think a lot to be very optimistic about. So let's get things kicked off. Oh, one other thing too, that we're going to do college football, chaos theory, chaos theory. You guys will understand where I'm coming from. This is the most off the wall, obscure insanity of all time, but you're going to kind of enjoy it because who doesn't it's the what if scenarios that surround these conference title races. So we're going to go into some of that as well. But before we do, let's get to our college football playoff eliminator starting right now. Time to update it again. It's the week seven edition of our college football playoff eliminator. And as you guys know, it's starting to round into form, by the way. I'm starting to kind of like where we're heading a little bit as far as the eliminator is concerned, because eventually... We're going to expand our final group into including more teams that have one loss. Like right now, for instance, Miami is no longer listed, but they might join if they get a win this weekend. Maybe they join that group six that's still essentially a college football playoff contender. They just have one loss right now. So here's where we're at. We ranked a bunch of teams and we've moved a few teams around. The group one which is basically the locks for the college football playoffs. Last week, we had zero teams in group one. This week, we have one. We are adding Georgia back to group one, a lock for the college football playoff. If you look at how they played last week and look at how they performed against Kentucky, you're going to say, well, Kentucky's not good. 
that's fine. I think the Kentucky win will hold up over time, but I'm more enamored with how they looked in the Kentucky win and how Carson Beck is progressing and how they're starting to identify their own, I guess, tendencies and how they're going to start playing into those tendencies. So I took Georgia from group three, moved them up into group one. They're back in lock status, if you will, for the college football playoff. That's the only team in group one right now. In group two, last week, there were three teams in group two. These are teams that look fantastic and have a really, really good win. Last week, there were three teams. This week, there are one. Whoa, hang on a second. Whoa, easy now. That's right. There's only one team that's in this group this week, and that team was not in this group last week. This week, it's Oklahoma. They move up from group four into group two. Now, group four are the teams that look great. They have the horses, but they hadn't played anybody. That's what happens when your schedule strengthens. Oklahoma's finally did. They move from group four into group two with a big win against Texas. The teams that were in this group last week, Texas, of course, was one of them. They fall into the one-loss category. Ohio State has now moved down as well. Why? Because the really, really good win that was Notre Dame now turns into a good test game. So they're actually going to move down. You're going to say, well, what about Maryland? I think Maryland also a good test game, but not at the end of the year, a really, really good win. Florida State has also moved down from group two to group three. They've been in group two for a really long time. It's not because I don't like Florida State. It's because I think their resume has actually regressed because LSU has regressed. They went from a really, really good win to a good test because what we've seen from LSU the last couple of weeks is an ineptitude on the defensive side. So I've moved Ohio State out. I've moved Florida State out. I've moved Oklahoma in. And Texas, of course, free fell after they lost last week to the Oklahoma Sooners. Here's group three. These are teams that look great and passed at least one test. Last week, there were seven teams in this list. This week, there are six. Ohio State drops from group two to group three. But if you're looking right, right here, I mean, still top three in the country. I've only listed two teams in front of them. I don't think Notre Dame's very good. Maybe they bump up again if Notre Dame beats SC. So you can see how this thing will kind of fluctuate as the season goes along. Florida State also drops down. They're at number four. Dropped to the group, second group. LSU is not very good on defense. At number five, Washington. They host Oregon this week. Oregon, number six, at Washington this week. That will sort itself out. One team will go up to group number two. The other team, well, depending on how they look, maybe they grow all the way up to group number one. If Washington goes out there and absolutely destroys Oregon, maybe they go all the way up to join Georgia as the lone entrant at the moment in group number one. But that will, of course, sort itself out. Penn State is in this group as well. Looked great, passed one test. I think Penn State's passed two tests. You have a 5-1 Iowa. You also, and by the way, you blanked them and looked really good. And then at the same time, you were able to beat a 4-1 West Virginia. So Penn State, two tests passed, but I'm not sold on Iowa and I'm certainly not sold on West Virginia down the road. And then joining this group up from group number five. Remember, group number five is the group that's undefeated, but probably don't have the horses. The group that TCU would have been in for a very, very long time last year. Well, like TCU, Louisville is now gaining in respectability 
across the country with what they did against Notre Dame. But Notre Dame, as we've referenced, not any longer a really, really good win, just a good test. Louisville passed it, and now they're in. A couple of the teams that, obviously, Louisville joined, Ohio State joined, Florida State all joined Group 3. Well, that means three teams all joined, all dropped out. USC is missing from this group. I'll explain in a minute. Miami, they dropped to group six. They lost to Georgia Tech. They were in this group last week. Now they dropped to group number six. That is the one lost group. And Wazoo, of course, after their loss to UCLA, they now drop to group number six as well. So six teams in group number three, Ohio State, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Penn State, and Louisville. USC's out. Miami's out. Wazoo is out as well. Another team that was in this group last week was Georgia. They went from passing one test to now looking like a lock for the playoff yet again with their performance against Kentucky. Group number four, teams that have the horses look great, but haven't played anyone. Oklahoma was in this group last week. They play Texas. They get bumped up all the way up to group number two. The teams that are now in this group, last week there were two. This week there were two. Last week it was Oklahoma and Michigan. Michigan's still in this group. They still haven't played anybody. Still. I don't care what, what you think about Nebraska. I don't care about what you think about Minnesota. They've looked super convincing in all these games, but their resume right now, well, yes, I think they're the second best team in the country at worst, but their resume would have them in group number four. They just haven't played anybody. It will. Don't worry. It'll happen. Their schedule strengthens. Granted, it's a little while from now, but their schedule does strengthen down the road. Got Penn State, got Ohio State, Michigan's in perfect shape. But here's another team that I've now added to this group because they actually might have the horses. This team was in group five last week, undefeated, but probably don't have the horses. Well, this team is North Carolina. They were in group five last week. Still haven't played anyone just yet, but I think the team is legit. They have a chance to play against Miami this week. So with the win this week, they will actually move up to group number three. And North Carolina's slight favorite at home against the Hurricanes. Let's get to group number five. Undefeated, but probably don't have the horses. Last week, there were five teams in this group. Maryland lost to Ohio State, they free fall. Kentucky lost to Georgia, they free fall. Missouri lost to LSU, they free fall. Those teams are all out. But guess who's in? USC. USC. You're going to say, hang on, USC is a top 10 team. How do you mean they don't have the horses? Well, have you watched them? Have you watched them play? Like, Have you watched their defense? Have you watched their inability to tackle from time to time? You watch the inconsistencies they play with on that side of the ball. Yeah, they can generate pressure. But right now, I mean, you look at USC's schedule down the stretch. Seriously, look at USC's schedule, okay? I don't feel great about them finishing better than 9-3 and three right now. I mean, they're underdogs on the road at Notre Dame this week. They still have a gauntlet, a gauntlet in the Pac-12. And unless things get a whole heck of a lot better on defense, man, there's no way they're going to be within the college football playoff striking distance. Now, granted, things can shift. You saw it just a moment ago. I took Louisville from this category right here, moved them all the way up. Took North Carolina from this category here, move them up. Right now, I got to see more from SC if I'm going to include them with teams that could legitimately make a college football playoff push. Having a great quarterback is awesome. It's a great starting point, but you have to have more in this day and age in college football. And then group six, these are the top one loss teams in the country. But I think if they can right the ship, they can very easily get back within striking distance of the playoff. Texas, of course, top one loss team in the country. They dropped from group two. They were in group two last week. They dropped all the way to group six, of course, with a loss to Oklahoma. Alabama, 
is in this group as well. Good win on the road at Texas A&M. Of course, they'll have plenty of more opportunities coming up in a little bit. They'll play against Tennessee. They'll obviously play against Kentucky on the road. They'll have to play against Georgia in the SEC championship game. So Bama, plenty of strength still on their schedule. And if they can win the rest of their games, naturally, they're probably going to be in the college football playoff. Oregon State is still on this list. DJ Uyungle, five touchdown passes last week. Man, I'm a believer. Utah, if Cam Rising returns and they're 4-1 and one without him and the offense has been stagnant, defense has been great, if the offense all of a sudden gets going because of Cam Rising's return, tell me they can't get hot. They've won back-to-back Pac-12 championships and their coach Kyle Whittingham has longly declared, has long declared, this team to be his most talented Utah team to date. And he's been around some good ones. That's for sure. UCLA, welcome back to the rankings, UCLA. You were not mentioned in this segment last week, but with the way that you just play defense, I still think you have a lot of problems offensively, but the way you play defense and the way you can run the football, you are now in the group of one-loss teams that I think could make a run and two more teams that are in this group as well. Washington State, got to have a win this week against Arizona to set up what should be a good one next week against Oregon. And then, even though everybody wants to punch on Miami, everybody wants to punch on Miami, I have Miami in this group as well. And while last week is a backbreaker, no one's denying that. If you just watch them play and you watch them against Texas A&M, you watch them against Georgia Tech, even in a losing effort, y'all, they can run the football They had a couple of bad mistakes by their quarterback, but he's been playing really well within this offense. They are really tenacious on the defensive side. A lot of movement, a lot of stunts, a lot of athleticism. Like that group's pretty dang good. And it will be a tough matchup for every single team they play, assuming you get great effort from Miami down the stretch. So that's your one-loss team group right now that's in it. Notre Dame is out. AM is out from a week ago. So that's where we're at right now as far as group number six. And then introducing, I guess, what you want to call giant killers. Giant killers. Welcome to the party in our eliminator segment. Because these are the teams that need to be very, very careful with when you face off against them this weekend. Notre Dame has gone from a team that's in the one-loss category to now a giant killer. They host USC this weekend. And I think this could be a get-right spot for Notre Dame. I'll explain why here in just a little bit. Arizona, they are in Pullman. Can they do the unthinkable and back up what was an emotionally taxing game against the Trojans by going to the Palouse and knocking off one of the one-loss teams that is still in contention? And then finally... Cal. If Cam Rising returns, Cal's been a little dangerous. The offense has been hit or miss, but they can run the football and they can create some issues for you. They go to Utah. So those are your three giant killers this weekend. Notre Dame, Arizona, and Cal. All teams that were previously listed that could get ousted if they come up short in some of these matchups. We figured it was time to start to maybe paint a little bit of a picture. As you guys know, on Wednesdays, we'd like to take kind of a 30,000-foot perspective on college football. We're not breaking down matchups. We're not doing recaps. So this is kind of the only opportunity of the week where we can kind of dive into the possibilities of some things coming up down the road. And we kind of are starting to sense that we're moving in a direction within a few leagues where we could have some legitimate chaos. Now, understand what I'm about to explain here in these next couple conference breakdowns, understand, okay? I don't think any of this is likely. 
I'm just going to tell you that flat out because we all, as we get ready to get to the middle or late October, and there's six or seven undefeated teams, we all just assume that these teams are all going to win and they're all going to be undefeated. And the conference college football playoff committee is going to have to decide between seven undefeated teams. <laughs> so just understand the likelihood of there being an undefeated Pac-12, an undefeated Big Ten, an undefeated ACC, an undefeated SEC, an undefeated AAC, whatever it is. The likelihood of everybody being undefeated is insanely small. That's why there's upsets every week. Like how many of y'all had Georgia Tech beaten Miami? If you listen to this show, you might have thought it was possible they'd play them close, but you probably didn't have them winning outright. So just understand while we go into these crazy chaotic scenarios for tiebreakers and wild things, these are very unlikely. So Coobs, let's kick it off. All right, let's start with the Big Ten. Let's go with the what if scenario. What if Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State all have one loss? Now this one, I will admit, we're going to go in order of likelihood. Okay, so... That's the direction that we're, we're going, just so you understand. I actually think this one is not outrageous to consider. It's probably hard for me to imagine that Michigan loses right now. I'm just going to be honest. I have a hard time envisioning that. But then again, let's just play the game for just a minute, okay? Uh, let's just assume that Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan, they all play each other in the next handful of weeks. Let's assume that the home team wins all of those matchups. That means Ohio State beats Penn State and Columbus. That means Penn State beats Michigan in State College. And Michigan beats Ohio State in Ann Arbor. Got me there. Ohio State hosts Penn State. They take care of business. Penn State hosts Michigan. They take care of business. Michigan hosts Penn State, uh, Ohio State. They take care of business. Okay, so basically you have three teams that are all 11-1. and 8-1 in Big Ten play. So where this could get a little bit interesting, and I want to credit Pat Forty for this because he reminded me in his tremendous article that he does every single week of the Big 12 back in 2008. And I remember this vividly because we were sitting there 12-0 Alabama playing Florida in the SEC championship game. So we were keenly aware of what was going on in the Big 12 in 08 because if we beat Florida, we were going to play the winner of the Big 12. And the options that year were Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas Tech. They were all deadlocked atop the South. And we're kind of competing over who should ultimately go to the conference championship game. Ult Oklahoma ultimately won that battle between the other two and then won the Big 12 title and then lost, obviously, to the team that we lost to in Florida in the BCS title game. So we've seen this happen before. Here's what could happen in the Big 10. Michigan's played really a bunch of cupcakes up to this point. Okay, let's just be honest. Like It's not really been a super challenge, and and I'm not sure any that they're going to play anybody until mid-November. Uh, they gave themselves a really manageable schedule. The league schedule that, that follows their manageable non-conference is extremely gettable. Okay, November 11th is when things will start to get going. You look at Penn State. Right now, they've dominated a team in Iowa that was 5-1. and one. By the way, that's right now amongst these three teams, the best win of any team in the Big Ten, which is crazy to me because I'm obviously not sold on Iowa, but they've somehow found a way to get to five and one. And then in the non-conference, they have a pretty good win against West Virginia. And that's holding up 
at the moment. West Virginia is four and one. They've won four straight since losing 38-15 to the Nittany Lions in week one. And then we get to Ohio State. They, of course, have the best non-conference victory out of everybody. That would be a win against Notre Dame in South Bend. Now, that kind of took a little bit of a hit this past weekend, as we talked about earlier. I mean, they lost pretty convincingly to Louisville. So that's kind of a tricky spot to to be in. And, and granted, it, I mean, Ohio State has been a little bit up and down. I still think they'll probably be in a great spot when they go to Penn State, but let's not lose sight of the game at Wisconsin. That'll be a night game. That'll be a tricky one. And Wisconsin seems to be finding themselves just a little bit. So the Big Ten has to resolve a potential three-way tie atop the division. The tiebreaker could be, quote, the records of the three teams will be compared based on the best cumulative conference winning percentage of non-divisional opponents. So at the moment, that means Penn State would win the tiebreaker. It's three West division opponents are 10 and eight. Ohio States are nine and eight and Michigan's are eight and 10, which is pretty crazy. So if you want a rooting interest, we'll pay attention to this weekend's game between Wisconsin and Iowa. Penn State fans will be rooting big time for Iowa. Buckeye fans should be rooting for Wisconsin. Of course, that could have a big indicator if this thing all falls apart. That'd be a big indicator as to who ultimately represents the East in the Big Ten Championship. All right. I love the scenarios. Let's move out to the Pac-12. What if there are three one-loss teams out there? Well, I actually think that the league is crazy deep. So it's very difficult for me to anticipate a spot where you have three one-loss teams or multiple undefeateds. Or like, I mean, if it does, it's great. It'd be awesome. The last year of the Pac-12 should just burn up, you know, all the chaos scenarios that we can possibly find. And of course, we're going to get a lot more clarity this weekend. I mean, Washington, they, they play Oregon uh, on Saturday. Uh, and then you, you know, let's assume Washington wins that game at home. Uh, and let's go on to assume that USC beats Washington when Washington travels to Los Angeles in early November. And let's assume that Oregon beats USC the following Saturday on November 11th when they host them in Eugene. So that's, I mean, that's a real possibility. Now, you know, I'm not sold on USC at the moment, but you look at Washington, obviously they've killed everybody. Their closest game right now is four touchdowns nearly. Okay. They've really had five high level games remaining for them and four will be played in November. So if they somehow come through this thing unscathed, I think they're going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt because of how backloaded their schedule is. Oregon, they have had a pretty manageable schedule, but now it's about to get going. They're at Washington. They got Washington State at home. They're at Utah. And then three of their four November games are at home. But then again, you still have some pretty good teams on the schedule, including Oregon State in what should be a chaotic rivalry game where you know there's absolutely no love lost. USC, the fact that they're still undefeated is pretty dang remarkable. But you look at their remaining schedule. I mean, Notre Dame on the road this week, Utah. You got some really difficult games to finish up with, like Washington, Oregon, and UCLA. So I, like I said, I don't think this is likely whatsoever. I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't see it. Because there are so many examples right now. When you look at look-ahead lines, I mean, Oregon and the Ducks, or Oregon and the Huskies are pretty significant favorites over the Trojans. And... At the tiebreaker, uh, I think it'd be very difficult to assume that 
Washington wouldn't be given the benefit of the doubt if they win the game against Oregon this weekend. The one that you need to keep in mind, though, is Utah. They are kind of a unique scenario. Okay, they are clearly very, very good. They're going to get better as the season goes along. Cam Rising, of course, is going to get healthy at some point. Hopefully, it's this week. They're already 4-1, and one, though, without him. And if their offense can somehow find some juice, then look out. Maybe Utah is one of these one-loss teams at season's end that we need to be considering out of the Pac-12 as well. All right, and the last one, which is easily my favorite, least likely to happen, <laughs> but what if Florida State North Carolina and Louisville, who don't play each other, all go undefeated. Yeah, and I want to appreciate one of the people uh, that actually submitted this question to our mailbag that kind of put it on our radar and got our wheels spinning. Because had it not been for that question, we wouldn't have gone down this rabbit hole. So just, we appreciate very much you guys submitting this because I chaos scenarios are so much fun to me. I love them. They're so much fun, but they are difficult to kind of keep up with. And I, I know I struggle with them an awful lot. I'll just go ahead and tell you this ain't going to happen, but we will have some fun with it and entertain the possibility, at least for the moment. Florida State definitely has the best resume at the moment. Uh, you got to win against LSU in the non-conference. You got to win against Clemson on the road. That I think is pretty dang impressive. You get Duke at home. Uh, that'll be in what, late October or so. You got Miami at home on November 11th. You also have to play against Florida on the final you know, the final week of the regular season, you really like their chances. I mean, at least I do. They're inconsistent. I'm not going to try to sit here and say the Florida State is... If they could put 60 minutes together, I'd feel a lot better about them being 12-0. But even against the teams that they're playing against, I think that they are probably going to be okay in this particular spot. North Carolina, meanwhile, has played uh, quite a bit lighter schedule. Uh, they obviously took care of Pittsburgh, um, but they looked really good. I mean, really good against Syracuse last week, but now they have quite a few games that will be pretty significant tests. Miami at home this weekend, I think is going to be a very difficult game. Duke at home on November 11th is tough. They have to go to Clemson on November 18th, and they're at NC State on November 25th. So NC State got them last year, and you know that's a difficult place to go play. I do think that at the end of the year, this could just ultimately take its toll. I mean, that's a pretty brutal gauntlet right now between now and the end of the year to have Miami, Duke, Clemson, NC State. That to me is a handful and asking an awful lot of North Carolina to go 7-0 down the stretch. And Louisville, who I actually think has a real possibility of being undefeated. Now, you're going to say, how, how, can you, how can you say that? Well, here's why I think it's totally possible. They have four games at home. And if there's one thing we learned this past weekend is that those four teams are in for a pretty hostile environment, right? I mean, really hostile environment. They get Kentucky at home. Obviously, they have to go. They get Duke at home. They have to go to Miami, which is going to be a difficult spot. But if there's one thing we know about Miami, with all due respect to Miami, Miami's home field environment is is really not great. So granted, Duke and Miami, consider they play all these people, can just completely destroy everybody's hopes of having chaos in the ACC. But in the event in which the ACC determines who's going to play in their championship game, isn't it interesting that several teams want to get out of the ACC? Now, the most likely tiebreaker scenario would be the combined winning percentage of conference opponents. And obviously there's a ton of of football left to be played. But that right now would have Florida State at number one, 
North Carolina number two, Louisville at number three. Now, if for whatever reason, those winning percentages are all deadlocked across the board. Now, that's highly unlikely, but in the event in which it is, then it falls to this. Quote, a draw as administered by the commissioner or the commissioner's designee. Yeah, you heard that right. Try to think about the, I guess for lack of a better word, think about the discomfort that there would be at Florida State if it comes down to the commissioner's office, given what Florida State has said about their current membership in the ACC. Those are your chaos scenarios. And if they're not chaotic enough, just know they're not going to happen. But it's fun. It's fun. I'm not going to lie. It is really, really fun at this point of the season to think about the chaos that could come up in the next six, seven weeks. Every Wednesday, we go to our social media accounts at AlwaysCFB on both Instagram and Twitter, and we try to get as many questions as we can from our social media accounts. So please encourage all of you to go follow us at Greg McElroy. That's my handle. You can always tweet your questions at me, and you can also tweet the show at Always CFB. So we appreciate you guys sending in the questions that you have up to this point. They've been awesome. We clearly have some really smart listeners and we appreciate you guys. And if you want to take it in the direction like Trip's taking it right here, we'll indulge. We're good with that. Trip Tepper leads us off. Have you looked at the LSU schedule? One road game, that's Bama, the remainder of the regular season. Do you like the value on LSU to win the SEC at 11 to 1? I think LSU is a really dangerous football team because when you play against LSU, you have to understand you have to be really comfortable winning in a shootout to beat them. Uh, they're a little bit like this year's version of Tennessee. Remember last year, Tennessee, it's like, all right, well, if you want to score into the 50s, can Tennessee will go there with you. That's fine. And if you score in the 60s like South Carolina did, then all right, they'll, they maybe they come up short. But your offense better be on fire. If you're playing against LSU, they're a little bit like this year's Tennessee, super dangerous team that no one really wants to play, but a team also where you can get a lot of really good stat production offensively because their defense is not showing you a whole lot up to this point. I don't trust them, but I would tell you this, if they're hot offensively, I'd roll the dice at 11 to one. And then here's how you handle it. Put some money on LSU at 11 to one and then bet Alabama on the under, uh, on the money line when that game comes around. Then if they get to Atlanta somehow by beating Alabama, then throw a hefty wager on Georgia money line and you hedge yourself. That's the way I'd handle it, but just a thought. <laughs> I don't know what Alabama's look-ahead line will be in that game. I would imagine the total will probably be pretty high, though, because every step the rest of the way for LSU, you'd imagine there's going to be some points scored. Let's go to Taylor Wallace. I know you've mentioned you think Texas's secondary is a liability. Did, did the Red River game and the last drive by Oklahoma prove that Texas's secondary is a liability to the Texas team? Yes, uh, it's definitely a liability. Been saying that for weeks now. This is a team that from top to bottom is really, really good. Here's what concerns me about Texas moving forward. One, I think their safeties are really good run stoppers. But if you force those guys to cover, I think you can create some big plays against them. Oklahoma did that, and that is something that they're going to have to address because there are some teams that have some firepower that Texas will face down the road, whether it's against Oklahoma, again, a matchup or a rematch, or maybe it's a 
you know, a Houston team this week. I, I don't think it's likely. Let's just be real. But I do think the secondary is how you attack Texas. The other way, too, their defensive line, they didn't get home as often as you would like. And people look at, well, 200 yards rushing. Sure, but a lot of that was because of quarterback scramble and a couple big plays made by Dylan Gabriel there. So I still think the Texas front seven's excellent, but the secondary, that's the only way I think you can beat them. Oklahoma did it, and I think more teams can, especially if they get to the playoffs and face a team like Ohio State, face a team like Georgia, teams that are really comfortable throwing the ball downfield. Let's go to John Bradley. Please give me your preview and opinion of Air Force, who's 5-0, hosting Wyoming, who's 5-0, and in an important Mountain West game. Got to give some love to the Group of Five conferences. You know we do that here on Always College Football. We love all levels of football. FCS, D2, D3, FBS, Group of Five, Power Five. I don't care. If it's a great matchup, we're going to break it down, just like last week when we broke down Fresno State and Wyoming. That's what we do. We love it. I am really excited for this game, and we'll break it down quite a bit in tomorrow's show. But just so you know, if you are unaware of what's going on right now with Air Force, they are amazing on the defensive side of the football. They are 10th in the FBS right now. 10th in the FBS in yards per carry defensively. About two yards a carry given up. They are number two in total defense. In the FBS, giving up about 211 yards per game. Now, you're also going to say, well, that's because they play keep away. They run the ball. Their offensive line's great. All these other things. Well, they're actually sixth in yards per play given up. So even though teams don't have a ton of plays against them, they also don't have a ton of production within those plays. And here's the teams that are in front of them right now in yards per play given up. Clemson, who I think everybody acknowledges that's a legit defense. Ohio State. Yeah, legit defense. Penn State, yep, legit defense. Oregon, yep, legit defense. UCLA, yep, maybe the best defense, at least one of the best defenses in all of college football. Those are the five teams in front of Air Force. So if Wyoming is going to win the, win the game, it's going to be very difficult to go on the road and to manufacture offense against a group that has been that stout on the defensive side of the football. We'll break it down, like I said, a little bit more in tomorrow's edition of Always College Football. Let's go to John Bradley. Does the winning quarterback of Oregon-Washington game get elevated to the top of the Heisman Trophy buzz? And are the chances of being in the Heisman conversation over for the losing quarterback? The answer to your second question is no. The answer to your first question is maybe. I'll give you an example of a time in which I think this is comparable. That would be 2016. That was when Lamar Jackson played against Deshaun Watson. This game feels a little bit like that right now. Bo Nix with Oregon. Michael Penix, obviously, with the Washington Huskies. This game has the buildup and the quarterback matchup that's comparable to what we saw back in 2016. Now, ultimately, Clemson won the game 42-36. Lamar's team came up on the losing end. But everybody and their brother acknowledged just how incredible Lamar Jackson was in that game. He went 27 to 44 for 295, had 31 carries for 162 yards and three total touchdowns. Meanwhile, even in a winning effort, Deshaun Watson accounted for four turnovers. So while he won, he was outplayed and the Heisman voters took notice. Ultimately, a couple months later, awarding Lamar Jackson the Heisman Trophy. So while yes, I think winning the game would go a long way to improve your Heisman candidacy, even if you come up short, it doesn't necessarily mean 
you're out of the race just yet. Let's go to Ricky Ticky. If Colorado ends up with five losses, but Shador Sanders plays great the rest of the year, could he still be a Heisman finalist, even though he's on a team with five losses? I say it's possible. Possible. Partly because the Heisman has become very much about highlight reel moments and Heisman performances. So even in the event in which you look at the win-loss total of what Colorado's done, if they win seven games, that means they doubled up what Vegas already anticipated from them. So even at seven and five, clearly Shador Sanders did some amazing things down the stretch. And to get to seven and five, by the way, they're going to have to pull some serious upsets because they'll get to five this weekend more than likely with a win over Stanford. But the rest of the way, man, there's a lot of very tricky games. Will there be a heavy underdog probably every single week? So taking every, except for the Arizona game, which I, I don't know if, I don't know who's going to be favored in that game or whatnot, but every other game, they'll be a pretty significant dog. So in order for them to get to seven, he's probably going to have to have a Heisman moment or two. So I think it's possible too, because every single highlight from Shador Sanders has been played on a repeat on ESPN, on Fox, on every single daily show. We know that Colorado rates, Colorado moves the needle, so people are certainly still going to be paying attention. Let's go to Jared. Jared Owens. Oklahoma and Texas both went out. Is the Big 12 title game a playoff quarterfinal? No doubt about it. I mean, I can't envision a scenario right now, and I think the fact that guarantees that it's a playoff quarterfinal is the fact that Texas lost the game against Oklahoma. Because if Texas now runs the table and beats Oklahoma, Texas will automatically, let's assume Alabama runs the table and maybe wins the SEC. Well, Alabama would be 12-1 and SEC champs. Texas would be 12-1 and Big 12 champs. And Texas owns the head-to-head. So that's just something to take into account. Had Texas won and Oklahoma ran the table the rest of the way, I don't know if for sure Texas or Oklahoma, that would be guaranteed to be in a situation where the winner gets elevated to the college football playoff because Oklahoma didn't play anybody in the non-conference. But the fact that Oklahoma won and Texas lost, I think that almost guarantees that a 12-0 Oklahoma against an 11-1 Texas is a playoff quarterfinal. Let's go next to Michael R. Why is it when Alabama wins, it's not impressive to any of the college football pundits. A win is a win. Georgia hasn't looked all that great. First of all, I disagree with you on Georgia. Uh, I think they looked pretty great last weekend. And also, Bama's getting their flowers. I mean, they are the second highest ranked one-loss team at the moment. And while people are not necessarily super enamored with the margin of victory, I don't think anybody at the moment is writing off Alabama. Alabama controls their own destiny. Uh, I strongly believe that. If Alabama continues to improve, if Alabama continues to reel off wins, if Alabama beats LSU in the first weekend of November, if they beat Tennessee, if they go to Auburn and win, Alabama is going to get all the credit that they need. And then ultimately, you get a chance to tee it up against Georgia, the number one ranked team in the country, more than likely when you play them in the SEC championship game. So Alabama's fine. Don't worry about what the pundits are saying. It doesn't matter. They control their own destiny. If they take care of business in each and every game from this point forward, they'll be in the college football playoff. We figured we'd also, at this point of the season, the midway point, a couple teams reeling, 
couple teams feeling themselves a little bit. It's time to do a bit of a temperature check on some of these fan bases. So, Coobs, let's kick it off. All right, Greg, I'm a Miami fan. Okay, make me feel better about Mario Cristobal. Make me feel like he can actually get us over that hump. He hasn't won a home game against an ACC opponent yet. Please tell me he's the guy that's going to bring the U back. Well, look at your personnel. Uh, I mean, this is a really talented team. They are really talented offensively at pretty much every position. I think they've upgraded their talent in so many different places from where they were a year ago. The quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, got a ton of talent. Yeah, made a couple bad decisions last week, but you know, you you live with that from time to time. He's a gunslinger, he's gonna rip the ball, but more often than not, he's been pretty decisive and has made good decisions, at least up to this point of the season. You have talented backs that can make you miss. You have talented group of wide receivers that I think have enough diversity to be able to cause a lot of issues for the opposing defense. You got length in Colby Young, you got speed in Jacoby George, and you also have reliability in Xavier Restrepo. The O-line's drastically improved from a year ago. And I think you look too defensively. Now, they've had a couple guys that have been in and out of the lineup, but this is a really aggressive group that makes teams play very uncomfortable brand of football. And we're, we're going to find out this week against a really good offense with Drake May and North Carolina as to whether or not this defense is up to the task. I, I actually love this Miami team. I know that look, everybody and their brother is sitting there and they're just going to pick at the decision-making process of what went down last week. Last week was a fluke, okay? It was a fluke. But I look at the overall talent and how it's been upgraded the last couple of years, and it makes me feel very optimistic for what might be coming, not just in the future for Miami, but maybe even as soon as the present, because I still think this team is extremely dangerous and they would not be a team that I want to mess around with. Okay. Next one, Greg. I'm a Notre Dame fan. Give me hope. Tell me Marcus Freeman is the right guy. Tell me we didn't waste Sam Hartman's one year in South Bend, although I think we did. Tell me that that last week was just an anomaly and Marcus Freeman's going to rally the troops and finish the season strong. Well, I, I would tell you this, this week might be a get-right situation against USC. I mean, USC is the 112th-ranked defense in college football. They're giving up over four yards a carry, which is 80th in college football. Problem is, USC can get to the quarterback. They have a 10.1% sack percentage, which is 21st. So it really starts, I think, up front this week now with Marcus Freeman, man. I mean, it starts up front. The offensive line is the centerpiece of what this team needs to be. Marcus Freeman has even gone out and saying, hey, this is an offensive line-driven program. So that was not what I saw last weekend. I mean, you have five sacks given up against Louisville, eight tackles for loss, multiple, multiple times that you got stopped on short yardage, and they accounted for 44 rushing yards. They haven't run for over 200 yards against a Power 5 opponent. Something it did a handful of times last year. So you now get an opportunity to right the wrong against a defense that's reeling. But I'm still optimistic about Marcus Freeman because all the things that people are saying about Marcus Freeman, all the things that they're saying about him are the same things they said about Kirby Smart five years ago. He can recruit great. He's a good defensive mind, but, you know, 
that he's messed up the quarterback spot or in game situationally hasn't been great. Like all those things were said about Kirby Smart a handful of years ago. So just he's a young coach that unfortunately for him is learning on the job. He didn't have a training wheel run at a stepping stone program. He went from coordinator at Cincinnati to coordinator at Notre Dame to the head coach at one of the most heavily scrutinized places in college football. He's going to be fine. I'm not at all concerned about him. I think he's a great coach. I think his best times are in front of him, but he's got absolutely got to get the offensive line going because that has been the heart and soul of this team for as long as I can remember. Okay, I'll buy it. Next one, I'm a Texas fan. Okay, make me feel better. Tell me we didn't waste beating Bama at Bama. Tell me we can run the table in the Big 12 and beat Texas again and make the playoff. Give me hope. Well, this one shouldn't be too difficult. You still have the most talented team in the Big 12. You lost by four. You gave up a remarkable, a remarkable two-minute drive that will live on forever. And those things happen, man. It is what it is. But here's the things that led to you losing the game. You have a goal line stand with first and goal at the one. You have three turnovers with a couple picks and a bad fumble. You had three red zone penetrations that resulted in three points. Okay? You look at your schedule. Like, look at your schedule and tell me, just tell me right now, what games really scare you to death? Because there's not really a whole lot on there. At Houston, I'm not worried about it. Just going to be honest, I'm not worried about it. BYU... On October 28th, I'm going to tell you, that's a tough one. But they're at your place. Kansas State, on November 4th, Kansas State has not been good on the road this year. Now, last year, last eight games or whatever, thought, oh, man, this team can travel on the road, play well on the road. Like, that's not a team you want to face in your home environment because they're tough. Defense travels, run game travels. Well, K-State's 0-2 on the road this year and didn't look good against Oklahoma State last week whatsoever. You're at TCU. On November 11th, TCU's 3-3. Three and three. At Iowa State on November 18th, the game's looking a little bit trickier today, but let's be real. Oklahoma beat them by 30. And then Texas Tech is at your place on November 25th. So you look at the schedule, man. I mean, it would be an absolute stunner. Stunner. If Texas is not sitting in the Big 12 championship at 11-1. They'd have to get upset at home by a team that is significantly less talented than them or they'd have to blow it on the road against a team that's even less talented than the one that might be able to beat them at home. Texas is going to be fine. And I think if they get the chance to play against Oklahoma again, I think they'll have a real chance to knock off the Sooners if they play a cleaner brand of football. We'll finish the show by talking about what I love and what I hate. We do it every Wednesday. What I love, chaos scenarios. Did it earlier in the show. Totally worthless, a complete waste of time, but it's fun. (laughs) because if those things actually come to fruition, then the Tuesday night college football playoff ranking show on ESPN will be one of the best pieces of television I've ever been a part of. If some of those things come to fruition, it'll be insane. Absolutely insane, but it won't. Let's hope it does, though. I absolutely love chaos scenarios. They're just amazing. The other thing I love is that Washington and Oregon are meeting in the top 10, meeting this weekend as top 10 opponents for the very first time. Uh, obviously a rivalry in the Pacific Northwest that has long had tremendous vitriol 
and great matchups, great offenses. And the fact that they've never met as top 10 opponents to me is awesome. I can't wait for that this weekend. What I hate, I hate stubbornness offensively. For instance, I'll use a couple examples, right? Arkansas has long been a group that runs the football, right? That's that's what they are. They they run the ball. Sam Pittman's an offensive line coach. Uh, like that's his background. So they want to run the ball. They want to be physical. Well, how about this for a couple things of note? They have 225 attempts running the football so far. They are third most in the SEC. Well, they have 669 yards to show for it. That's 12th. They have less than three yards per carry. That's 13th. In the last two games against both Texas A&M and Ole Miss, they ran it 68 times for 78 yards. Now, you have to take into account sacks, and they have 12 of those for a million lost yards. But even if you eliminate the sack yardage, their numbers are still really not what they need to be. Now, Rocket Sanders is amazing, but he's kind of yet to get going. Like They have to abandon the run game. They're not working. It's not working. It's just not. Another team that I think maybe has showcased a little bit of stubbornness at times is Minnesota. I mean, you thought, oh, Ethan Kaliak-Manis is going to come in. Like they're gonna they're gonna throw the ball around. There's gonna be better team throwing the football this year. Well, it hasn't worked. Like I know Darius Taylor being being out the last couple of games has not helped, but they really are not going to be a team that just throws it all over the yard. I don't care how much talent their quarterback has. Ethan Calicmanis has a lot of talent, but it hasn't materialized because it's not who they are. It's not who they're built to be. I think good example of this is that Georgia, like they have recognized, you know what? We are not going to be a ground and pound outfit this year. They said to heck with it. We're going to give the ball to Carson Beck. He's great in the drop back passing game. We have great weapons. We're just going to let him drop back and throw it all over the yard. And what's been the result the last couple of weeks? Well, multiple 300 yard passing games and nearly 400 last week against the best defense he'd played to date. So I think just abandoning your stubbornness of what you think you're supposed to be and just going with what you are would be really beneficial. I hate also terrible non-conference games at this point of the season. There are two non-conference games this weekend. One is Notre Dame USC. The other is Penn State UMass. All right. And those of you that are saying, well, I'm singling out Penn State. Well, I'm not. Because when we fast forward to middle of November and the SEC has a bunch of FCS teams coming to play at their place, I'm going to lose my mind. I might even lose my mind next week when LSU plays Army. I'm not excited about that game. Like at this point, it needs to be conference only. So I hope everybody adopts the nine-game conference model. I hope we have more conference games because this part of the season does not need to be a part of the season that's featuring matchups in which teams are favored by 40. It doesn't do anybody good. It certainly doesn't do the viewer and the consumer any good. That's for sure. Thanks for being with us. We so appreciate you guys for all that you've done for college football and helping us grow here over the last year. Please continue to like, to rate, and to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's on Spotify, if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, leave us that rating, if you will. It'd mean an awful lot to us. If you're on the ESPN YouTube channel, subscribe to the ESPN College Football page and hit that thumbs up right below the video. That will help us out as well. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football.
Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.